House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I am Al Warren. Mr. Mike Poutine Brown is co-hosting today. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm back. You're back. Back with a vengeance. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Is that good or bad? I don't know. It's, it sounds terrible, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you're doing, you're still doing the, uh, the other show, the one about, uh, yeah, I do super, supernatural circumstances every two weeks and dark poutine every week. And I'm, uh, writing another book about things spooky. So it should be, uh, an interesting next couple of years for me. Uh, hopefully I'll have a break maybe at some point. Oh, what would you do with a break anyway? Uh, right. Yeah, you just think about <laughs> other things you want to do. Yeah. You know, it's it's an addiction. You can't get over it. It really is. You have to get over it. Well, today, so we kind of cover both in a sense. You're you a perfect man for the job because... Well, you know, I don't know about perfect, but I'm... You're I'm always man. perfect. I yeah. Mean, come on. Yeah. Um, so we've got uh, the authors of uh, a couple of books here that are very, both very interesting, and it's The Science of Serial Killers. And, of course, The Science of Witchcraft. And the authors are Meg Hafdell and Kelly Florence. So thank you for being here, ladies. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. How did the two of you get together and decide you're going to write these types of books? Like, what, what was the uh, initiation? What, what happened here? And let's start with Meg first. Sure. So, you know, we have been best friends for 22 years. So we you know, naturally, um, sort of work well together. And we both sort of grew up as horror lovers and we didn't really have that friend that, you know, loved horror. So when we met, we were like, Oh my gosh, you know, somebody who wants to watch horror movies and talk about them. And so I was, um, I started my career writing horror fiction and Kelly is a professor. And so we kind of, combined um the things that we're good at like research and uh you know watching and discussing horror films and all of those things and it just made sense after we started a podcast called horror rewind it made sense to actually start writing books about the things that we love yes we found that every week on our podcast we were talking about the real science history culture lore uh, medical conditions, psychology that these movies and TV shows were based on. And we wanted to share it with the world and, and do more research and interview all types of people that uh, could give us that lens into the horror world through a science focus. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. How long does it take you to, to put one of these books together? So we've released uh, five books since 2019. So we've been writing one every six months pretty much. We've been busy. So now on the science of serial killers, when you get into that, how do you decide which which killers you're going to talk about or which ones you're going to analyze? Yeah. Um, well, for instance, for serial killers, um, we start out with, and we do this with most of our books, we start out with a film. We knew that we had, you know, had to do our people. So, like, for instance, we made sure we talk about um, 
Jeffrey Dahmer. We talk about Ted Bundy. Um, and again, we're, we're starting through that sort of filmic lens. Um, uh, but then there were ones that, you know, for instance, um, Lizzie Borden is technically not a serial killer, but I'm absolutely fascinated with that case. So mm-hmm. I pushed for that. <laughs> so a lot of times it can be like, okay, I, I want to do something that like I really find interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we came across films too, like, for instance, um, we do a chapter on Rope, um, the, the awesome Alfred Hitchcock movie, and that is based on Leopold and Loeb, the two killers, who, again, technically are not serial killers, um, but it's such a, a great film to start with and the sort of concepts that these two men um, believed and how that's depicted in the film and then, you know, the research that went into it. Um, sometimes you start with a film, sometimes you start with a serial killer. I, in that particular one, I mean, that was pretty far off from the, the from Leopold and Loeb. That wasn't really a rope. Yeah, yeah. That was that was kind of a it was a concept of people that wanted to 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 do the perfect murder. But there was a huge amount of other things going on between those two. Oh, you've, yeah, you've stepped into a nest of bees here. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I mean, you know, they 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 both uh, in. In the film, um, they touch on that there these two men who are, who are not Leopold Lowe, but who are similar. They're um, in the sense that they're privileged uh, white men um, who uh, who are trying to do the perfect murder under the nose of of police. Um, they touch on this sort of love of Nietzsche and sort of like this misreading of what Nietzsche was trying to say, which I think um, they do a, a great job of of showing. Um, how they fumbled that in the, the Leopold and Loeb case. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting case. I, I actually uh, did a book on that. Some of the serial killers that you cover are not necessarily ones that people think about um, mm-hmm. when they think about a killer. Uh, one uh, would be Amy Archer Gilligan the, from the Arsenic and Old Lace, the inspiration for Arsenic and Old Lace. Um, were there uh, killers that you wanted to bring to people's attention more than others, maybe. Um, obviously, you talk about Ted Bundy, you talk about Jeffrey Dahmer, but the, were there sort of pet cases that you guys were into and you really wanted to to do for the book? Yeah, absolutely. I think something important to us was, like Meg said, finding those cases or those movies that maybe people haven't heard of. Um, Lake Bodum, for example, is a chapter, and it's about an unsolved case from the 60s where uh, four teenagers went out camping and and they were murdered, and they've never caught uh, who who did it. And so looking uh, through that lens and talking to the filmmaker about how, you know, you, when you think of Finland, you don't think serial killers, but they really have this, this really... Uh, big case that people still think about. Also, we wanted to draw attention to the Highway of Tears and the concept of uh, less dead, those that, you know, the police don't necessarily know are are missing, uh, whether it be indigenous women in that case or mm-hmm. sex workers. So just finding, uh, to shine light on the, on the cases that might be overlooked. Yeah, you're speaking my language here with that one. Uh, I'm, I cover mostly Canadian true crime, and I'm here in British Columbia, so obviously the Highway of Tears is one of my pet cases, so I was happy to see you folks cover that. You cover a lot of ground in your books, too. Uh, 30 stories in Science of Serial Killers, and your latest book, um, Science of Witchcraft, 
there's 23 different uh, topics that you talk about? Yeah, 23 different TV shows or movies that we started with. And then through that thread of research, we find just hundreds of, of topics and concepts to, to talk about and, and interview people about. I was just going to say it's, it's really important to us that, like, our books are fun and approachable, and we find that being able to sort of, like, you know, touch on certain things, you know, whether we're touching on H.H. H. Holmes or we're touching on Wizard of Oz, um, it's it's fun to sort of keep it brief. And, and, you know, if we get too down the rabbit hole of, like, you know, um, time travel, it could get really esoteric. So we, we like to, to keep it fun. <laughs> so for Science of Witchcraft, you start with the origins. And are you talking the origins of witchcraft and where the word witch comes from, that kind of thing? It's it's really fascinating. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, we, we do touch on that. And we since we have written about witchcraft previously um, in our book, The Science of Monsters, we didn't want to repeat um, topics, but we talk about sort of how when you hear the word witch, what that conjures in our minds and go through uh, the fairy tales and the stories and TV shows and movies that really started um, some of these tropes uh, for witchcraft movies. I noticed a real backlash toward um, Hocus Pocus 2 um, all over online and a lot of people saying that. Um, they shouldn't be talking about witchcraft to to children with these types of movies. And uh, I wonder, so what was your experience with witchcraft in that way? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, for me, that that seems very extreme. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, Kelly and I are, are huge feminists, and we see witchcraft as a very empowering, um, not only... It, it's not only in media, like in films, whether the witch is good or bad, um, but also in real life where, you know, women are using, you know, nature um, to heal. And um, they are, you know, whether you believe in anything supernatural, um, the idea of witchcraft is very feminine. And it's very grounded in things that are often positive, like manifesting and things like that. So I think that, you know, the idea that witchcraft is somehow um, something bad that you wouldn't want your children to know about, I think that's a pretty narrow view of it as a whole. Um, and I think that, you know, goes in line with some people not maybe fully understanding what witchcraft really is about and maybe taking like bits and pieces from different media sources and thinking that is true. When you say revealing the, the spellbinding science behind legends, lore and all that, and you're talking about uh, uh, different powers in witchcraft, do you find that there's any, let's say, true science behind like uh, spells and, and witchcraft things that uh, are done? Yeah, so in our chapter uh, of Sleepy Hollow, we talked about how, you know, in that story and in the movie version, witches are using things from nature to make potions and, and cast spells. And so we spoke to an indigenous ethnobotanist, and she was ta uh, told us about how for generations it's been mainly women who were using nature, and this is science-based for healing practices and, of course, medicine, and that even though... Uh, you know, as soon as uh, in the Industrial Revolution, when men started taking over more of the medical and science fields, women who were seen as healers, all of a sudden, well, they must be witches. And so mm -hmm. it got that negative connotation. But 
um, this ethnobotanist was saying, this has been passed down from generations and it is science-based. And so even though it seems like it's magic, it's, it's based in reality. Oh, so do I have to worry about someone putting a spell on me? Yes. <laughs> I, I can't speak on that, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, is it going to work if they do? That's the question. Yeah. Uh, what is it you find out? You found out during your research on, on witchcraft that surprised you? I'll take this one, Meg. I think for me it was that Meg mentioned the, the word manifestation, and that sounds very out there and... You know, you you hear about people making vision boards or keeping manifestation journals, and and you you think initially like, oh, they're just trying to make something happen magically, and they and they're not doing anything for it. But what we found is that um, psychologically, just the practice of writing writing down your goals will actually help you work toward them because it's the connection between your brain and that piece of paper and the repetition and it'll get you into a routine to actually work toward those goals so maybe you write down every morning that you're going to go for a walk or you're writing down your career goals and that will actually help you succeed in those goals and that's what the the real power of manifestation is it's not you know necessarily casting a spell and it'll magically appear so when, when someone pick, takes home one of these books, let's say the witchcraft book, for instance, um, what do you hope that they get from the book? What is it that you want them to understand? I think for me, you know, I, and I think, I think Kelly's on the same page here. We both absolutely love horror. Um, and we think that horror is a great way to learn um, not only like empathy and storytelling and all many great other things um but there is a science um in in every horror film there's something historical scientific and and i use science as like a pretty broad term you know whether it be sociological or feminist studies or biology or something to learn and so we hope that people kind of get a love for our genre that we love and also appreciate that you can learn through media whether it be books movies or tv shows I think, too, the, the thing that we try to do, as Meg said, we keep it fun and approachable and inject uh, some personal stories and and things from our own lives so that you get to know us, too, and that it feels like you're talking with friends and having a fun conversation as opposed to reading a textbook. So as, as far as um, different sections in the book, I'm, I'm looking at the one fairy tales right now, and uh, witches have been featured throughout fairy tales uh, and folklore uh, forever, it seems. Uh, how do you think those uh, inform the stories that are told today about witches in film, for example? Something interesting yeah. that we've discovered is that a lot of modern retellings of of fairy tales are actually showing the movie. They kind of turn it on its head and show it from the witch's perspective, or they're showing the backstory that created the witch, so to speak, and, and her motivations. And so it's finding out the backstory of the Wicked Witch of the West in the musical and, and book Wicked and finding out actually, you know, she has, it's maybe it doesn't excuse her behavior, but it explains it. Same with the Maleficent movies uh, that Angelina Jolie starred in a few years ago. It's, it's not just painting the witch as, uh, as evil and bad. It's, it's actually giving her more depth and complexity. You know, back in, in the old days when they used to hang people for being a witch or burn them, um, do, you, do you think that they were real witches? Or what's, what's your thought on that? Or were they just outspoken 
women or what, what's your thought on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's sort of that it's, it's horrible, but there's this human um, compulsion to find out who the other is in the community and to um, separate them. And I think that, um, that could be simply something, you know, somebody who is homosexual, somebody who um, isn't into the religion that is the religion of the day. It could be um, a woman who doesn't want to have children. I mean, there were women who were called out to be witches just because they weren't married or because um, they had more than one sexual partner or, you know, so it, it really comes down to obviously – and it makes sense in, in the Puritan Salem sort of sense of it because society was so strict and rigid in that time period that anybody who sort of went outside of that um, was often called a witch. And, you know, yeah, sometimes it was people getting into spiritualism um, that there was sort of a rise of that later in the Victorian era when people weren't necessarily executed for being a witch, but they were certainly exiled or um or not you know brought into society or they were judged um because they were getting into spiritualism and things like that and experimenting maybe with you know ouija boards or with um trying to talk to spirits and and things like that so i think ultimately it's about being an other and um, that unfortunately is something that humans have done throughout history when i jump back to like the um the killer, serial killer. You mentioned how um, about Jack the Ripper and Zodiac, some of the big famous unsolved cases. Do you think that um, there is some possibility that science or DNA will reveal some of these uh, long-held unknown killers? I think so. I, I think just, you know, as we uh, were researching that book and and now we're working on our next one, with it, which is about Agatha Christie, we have found that science and investigative techniques have changed so much, obviously, with technology and uh, DNA evidence. Um, I think I think we might be able to uncover some of these long-held mysteries and and hopefully, you know, get some some victims, um, you know, to rest in peace, to find their killers. Yeah, I, what, literally, while we were writing the serial killer book, um, they the news came out with. Um, that they had deciphered something that the Zodiac had written. And this was, you know, something that had been sitting there for, what, 50, 60 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so I literally we had to go back in the book um, because it was still the editing for, uh, phase and, uh, and add that part in, which was really exciting to feel like, oh, wow, this, you know, this case that is so old, there's something new to, to say. So that was really cool. Uh, on the flip side, something like Jack the Ripper, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that, that case might be just too old um, to, uh, you know, find, find the actual culprit and be 100% sure, but never say never. <laughs> yeah, well they, well, they were washing all the scene yeah. down the crime right. scene yeah. right? so i mean <laughs> yeah. you know that's that's going to be a hard one to to know whose dna you found or anything right right i recently went to london and i stayed in Whitechapel and went oh, to the wow. to the jack the ripper museum and i couldn't solve it I, I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn it yeah 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 you're fired exactly <laughs> 
Well, that's interesting. So now, um, was there anything exciting that uh, you found out in doing the serial killer book? Was there something that you didn't know about some one of these killers? You know, um, we uh, we've talked about this before that this was probably the hardest book we ever had to write because it was a hundred percent based in in truth and there were real victims. And so, uh, just some of the disturbing cases, like for me, the hardest chapter to write was about Israel Keys, yeah, and his um, his victims and and mythology mythology. Uh, sorry, it's just it's so it was so disturbing that we would have to take a step away and not watch serial killer movies or documentaries for a while because it was just so devastating. Yeah, I I consumed true crime. Life. You know, I grew up watching. You know. Um, America's Most Wanted and, and all that with my mom on Solved Mysteries. And so I've always watched the documentaries and things, but actually after writing the book and the process of writing the book, I, I actually did have to take a break because I was like, wow, you know, this is really bleak. And I think that Kelly and I had sort of challenged ourselves to really strip away any pretension of the killers being put on a pedestal we really wanted to show mm. that these these are not these these aren't cool guys it's not like when we write about you know jason or freddie or pennywise and it's kind of fun and they're cheeky and you know it this is reality and these are, were awful people and they weren't clever they weren't they weren't smart they weren't good looking <laughs> they're they're bad and um so i think that challenge was really the 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 big surprise um, of of balancing that and making sure that we're doing what we need to do to feel like we are honoring victims and we're not glorifying the killers. And the other thing too, with researching all of these different serial killers and cases is we wanted to make sure too, that we're not just labeling them as monsters. They were human beings and it's important to not just dismiss um, them as like, well, that's, that's them. And in order to hopefully, uh, prevent these types of crimes in the future, we have to recognize sort of where they came from, what their circumstances were, so that we can, you know, pr- try to prevent it in the future for others. That's a hard thing to do, but right? Because you can take someone like Dahmer or any of these, Ted Bundy, and there's several other people that are in the same situation, so they might have the same awful lifestyle and people because we don't really get a chance to study any of these serial killers we don't really get a a good chance to analyze them in person so i i think that's a hard thing to accomplish yeah if we were actually we're just doing a presentation yesterday on our books and someone asked about you know are serial killers born or are they made or and you know i think the the true answer is that it's different for every single person and that's really scary. Um, we'd love to just be like, Oh, you know, this and this happens. And that is the perfect, you know, storm that person will become a serial killer, but it's just not that simple. So, um, that, that's what really scares me. It keeps me up at night. You know, you just can't, you can't predict it. I mean, the good news is we have a lot, we have fewer serial killers. Um, operating right now um leaps in technology and stuff it's a lot harder to be a serial killer nowadays um and that's good news but yeah it's it's kind of scary that there's not this like perfect formula that we can point to and say okay that person's gonna be the next head bundy 
it's you like like some of the things like the like the new Dahmer series and stuff that's on Netflix. It's kind of a lot of backlash toward um, maybe some of the victims' families and and the people surrounding it that have to deal with it. And there's also, uh, you know, I watched the first episode of that series, and and they already changed what really happened. You know, like they had the neighbor living next door, which was the lady that didn't live there, and complained. Like they sort of create history themselves to make it more exciting or thrilling and stuff like that. I, do you think that's a good thing? You know, I don't know that it's necessarily a good thing for uh, honoring victims to, to, and telling the truth of, of what happened. I know I realize why, you know, Ryan Murphy has has changed stories just for, for television and drama. Um, but, you know, so I, I can see it from both perspectives. It's a very disturbing series, and Evan Peters is an excellent actor, but it's I'm I, it's hard to watch as an outsider, let alone I can't imagine being, you know, a relative. I, I feel, I feel like older cases, like when you're talking about sort of like, like you know, I call them vintage murders, <laughs> but like if you're talking about Lizzie Borden or, um, you know, even something like Ed Gein, which wasn't that far uh, long ago, but certainly there aren't a lot of living people still, um, or uh, certainly Jack the Ripper. Um, I think it's a little easier to to ha- to play around with the the drama and the fictionalization of it. Um, Dahmer still feels really fresh um, for people. You know, we live in the Midwest, so, you know, that's still relatively fresh. And um, I do, it it does concern me. I know, like, we um, talked about the Charlie's Theron movie, Monster, and um, that also had a lot of backlash um, because they felt that, you know, the victims' families felt that she was being portrayed as, with a lot of empathy. And um, so I don't know, that's a tough call because I believe in sort of the, the point of filmmakers being able to do what they want, but they also have to be aware that, you know, this affects real people. So I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a tightrope to walk. I think in that series, they need to make it clear that it's not, it's not a documentary. It's not true. I think too many young people just think it, uh, everything they see in it, they believe it. You know, if you look at social media, you'll see people complaining about, well, why didn't the police do something with the neighbor and all that? Well, she was, she didn't exist. Like, but they don't know that, but they're taking it as if this is the story. And that's what I, I sort of, I'm, I'm sort of getting at that they, uh, I understand why they change, like they do things to make it, um, more exciting and get more emotions running while people are watching it Mm -hmm. but what i'm saying is they don't they don't tell people clearly at the beginning that this is dramatized and that a lot of the events are created like it's this isn't a true to form story it's just other than you got Dahmer and yeah he did kill these people but a lot of the events in the in the in the in the series are not real and and I think that they they need they need to establish that. Otherwise, you have a whole group of people believing it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because yeah, I mean, people will believe. Okay, this is this is the reality. And if you watch the Ted Bundy movie um, that Zac Efron is in, and that's more from the perspective of his um, girlfriend. But you know, if you don't get into the awful things that these people did, if you don't depict that truthfully, then people do get sort of a more um 
well, certainly fake, but a, a more favorable idea of who these people are. And, and so what did you find the difference between um, female and male serial killers were? You know, something that we, we uh, had researched and wrote about previously uh, played into this book as well, which is that oftentimes motivations for murder for women had to do with uh, money and um, maybe in a, an abusive situation uh, or an inheritance. That's not always the case, but that was more prominent, whereas uh, men often killed for power or control or um, sexual pleasure. And so that, that was a, a big difference that we found. What were the others? Yeah, yeah. I mean, women um, tend to, and they and they can just as heartless and cruel, of course, but they tend to kill um, to get further ahead as far as money um, or stature, things like that. Um, while, uh, yeah, men, I mean, and I think we, you know, that this is no shock. Men tend to kill more out of, um, you know, sexual pleasure, like Kelly said, um, but of course that's based in, you know, feelings of, of power and control. Um, so yeah, there is actually quite a disparity on, on the reasons. And of course there are people who, you know, aren't necessarily in those, in that realm, like Jane Toppin, for uh, example, she has a great quote about that. She got, you know, uh, a sexual thrill from killing, but at the same time, um, you know, she tended to kill for money. So how did it affect either one of you at the end of at writing either one of these books? Um, when you come out of it, does it, does it change the way you write now, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think after the, the witchcraft book, we felt empowered and, and understanding, too, that, you know, our viewpoint is that being a witch or labeling yourself as a witch a lot of times is just showing independence, showing that I can make my own decisions and I can set my own destiny and course for my life and I don't have to be brought down by the patriarchy. So, yeah, we definitely felt empowered. Uh, how, do, how do people find the book how, or either book? And how, Do you guys have a website? Yep, so you can find us. Uh, both of us have our names, kellyflorence.com and meghoffdell.com. And then uh, together our podcast is Horror Rewind. And so you can find us on all the social medias under our names and under horrorrewind.com. Fantastic. Are you guys, what's, what's next for you? Science of the pandemic or? <laughs> no, yeah, science of, science of Agatha Christie is next and we're almost done with that. It'll be out in 2023. Nice. And it's been a nice uh, pivot again, fascinating look into the, all the crimes that Agatha Christie wrote about and the real science that, that she based them on. Wow, sounds fantastic. Well, ladies, it's been a pleasure and thank you very much for telling us about your new books. Uh, again, we're talking about the science of serial killers and the science of witchcraft. So thank you, Meg and Kylie. Thank you so thank much you for having us. So much. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This is the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.